systems here. I, I can't even think of one that I've experienced since I've been here that have compared to uh, what I grew up with. But we would get these, you know, it, it's flat, and a lot of trees where I lived uh, grew up. So you really didn't have the uh, benefit of seeing a long horizon. Um, and uh, so when storms would come in, you often would hear them and feel them before you saw them. Uh, it, you'd feel the wind kick up a little bit. You'd hear the rumblings of thunder, um, uh, maybe a little bit of flash in the sky from lightning somewhere. Um, and those were not, uh, while we were not in the storm yet, the, the, the thunder, the lightning, the wind kicking up, and uh, the darkening sky gave us a clue that it was on its way. That's kind of like the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what is to come. So it points forward to the cross. It points forward to salvation that's coming through a Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's like the, the rumblings of thunder and the wind kicking up that's cluing you in that something big is on its way. That God is going to do something incredible, not just for the people of Israel, as, as is in the Old Testament, but for all people. And um, so I, I'm hoping that as we work our way through Exodus, you're beginning to see these connections come together, and we'll, we'll chip more uh, away at that today. Um, so I wanted to start here, though, with Hebrews chapter 8. We've been spending a fair amount of time kind of jumping back into Hebrews, and uh, I apologize, I don't have this one up on the slides, but Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, before we dive into our text here in Exodus. Um, Hebrews gives a lot of really good perspective on, on the Old Testament and how it fits into um, the coming of Christ. And so Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Now that's a, a direct quote from our passage today. Verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So in other words, the things that we're going to see here in Exodus as the Lord begins to instruct His people on, on the construction of, of the, the tabernacle and the furniture that goes in the tabernacle and what the priests are to wear, that, that contained in that is a shadow of things that are going to be revealed when Christ came later. So we're going to look now to Exodus chapter 24 verse 12, and I just want to pray first here to ask the Lord's help. Father, as we open your word, 
we ask that you would teach us, that you would reveal more of yourself to us, that you would lead us into all truth as you've promised to do by uh, the power of your spirit. We ask that you would draw us together in, as one and as the body of Christ, that you would uh, be our interpreter to help us to hear and understand your words today um, right where we're at and to know then what we are to do with those. Um, so Lord, we pray that you would be glorified within us as well as among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus twenty four twelve. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So the um, 70 of the elders and, and uh, um, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and apparently Joshua were, were gathered together. Um, and there was a, a revealing of some measure of God's glory to them. You can read about that in the previous verses there. And then Moses has now called, uh, or God has now called Moses to, to come in a little further than the rest here, where God is going to meet uh, personally with Moses here. And so that's what's happening here um, as Moses is, in, is instructed, and he takes with him his assistant uh, Joshua. Uh, now this is the same Joshua that you'll read about in the book of Joshua. Um, it's the same Joshua who becomes Moses' successor. So when Moses dies, um, God raises up Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. Uh, Moses and this generation of Israelites not being allowed to enter into the promised land because of their disobedience and grumbling and complaining and lack of faith in God. Uh, but God will raise up a new generation led by Joshua who will enter the promised land and trust God as they're doing so. So that's, that's who this Joshua is. And then it uh, goes on there and Moses leaves these instructions that, um, to, to the elders, to the leaders who are left in charge of, uh, among the people there. Um, and I think you can actually read a little bit about that if you backed up and read uh, from Exodus chapter 18 where Moses was having a little bit of difficulty staying on top of all these cases and disputes that were being brought before him and uh, his father-in-law says Moses you are gonna you're gonna burn yourself out so fast here uh, let me offer you some advice and his father his father-in-law offered the advice to him that why don't you set up things so that people have somebody else to go to so that smaller matters can be settled without having to bring everything to you, that there are people who are well-equipped to be able to help uh, the people with their, their difficulties and disputes uh, before it reaches your ears. And so that was how it was set up, that it was uh, almost like our court system today in a way where, where we have local courts to deal with smaller things, and the bigger the thing, the, the higher up the chain it goes. And, um, and such it was there that Jethro suggested. Here we have... Uh, some of those leaders who are, have been put in charge of the people to oversee. And uh, Moses says to him, hey, I'm not going to be here. I'm, I'm heading up the mountain. And uh, in my absence, you have 
Aaron and her who can, um, can be the go-to to settle any disputes that need to be settled uh, to come all the way to the Supreme Court here. So going on, verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. God's glory and his presence were manifested by the presence of the cloud. And to the people who were looking from a ways back, um, the devouring fire is the description we have. That is the uh, manifest presence here of, of God. You know, we later on here, he's giving instruction to uh, construct a place where a sanctuary, a place where God will be uh, manifestly present with his people. So this, this, this uh, place that God is going to give them instructions to construct um, this is then going to be the place where God makes his presence known among his people. Later on, it becomes a, a temple. And then as we move into the New Testament, Christ comes in the flesh. Um, certainly the manifest presence of God. In fact, in uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, John's gospel, he says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That no longer was it a, uh, a place, a cloud or a pillar of fire or uh, a tent or a building, uh, but it was a person, Jesus Christ. God become man and, and dwelt among mankind and that his glory was revealed through Jesus Christ. Now Christ is the the manifest presence of God because He is God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, come to earth to bear the weight of the wrath of God against our sin. The only perfect sacrifice. That's what Hebrews talks so much about, that Jesus Christ was the only perfect high priest. He was, he was the only perfect sacrifice for us. We're going to double back around uh, to that in, in a moment, but um, and as we move on here into verse 18 in Exodus, Moses entered the cloud, so he's gone up to the mountain, uh, there's the cloud covering the mountain where he's at from a distance. The people see a devouring fire atop the mountain. Um, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. 
and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now there are some uh, periods of time that we see uh, pop up quite frequently throughout Scripture. This is one of them, uh, 40 days. 40 days, 40 nights, or just 40 days. Uh, I want to list off just uh, the, the ones that I uh, can, could quickly bring to your attention here. Uh, one of them is uh, Noah, right, the flood. Um, 40 days and 40 nights of, of God just pouring out water on the earth. And um, so then there's, uh, in Genesis chapter 50, actually, um, when uh, Jacob dies, there's a period of embalming for Jacob, 40 days. Um, then we have here Moses on Mount Sinai, 40 days. It actually happens a couple of times. Find that here, and then also in chapter 34. Uh, when the spies were sent into the land of Canaan. So as they come up, God brings them to the edge of the promised land. They send out spies to spy out the land to find out what is this land that, that God is giving us? What is it like? And uh, what's it going to take for us to move in there? The spies were in there for 40 days. Interestingly on that, the reason that God uh, brought a, a punishment among his people that they were going to wander in the desert for 40 years is because for 40 days the spies spied out the land and they were then uh, judged one year for every day that the spies were in the land um, and came back with this very faithless, uh, 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 disobedient kind of attitude. The spies went and spied out the land, and they came back with this report that uh, it's beautiful, it's everything that the Lord said it was going to be, but there's dangerous people over there, and we should not go in there. In other words, we cannot trust God to, to protect us as we move into the promised land. They were scared, and they would not trust God. And God said, you spent 40 days spying out the land that I wanted to give you. You're going to spend 40 years now wandering in the desert, and you're not going to be allowed to enter in. Um, then uh, Ezekiel, interestingly here, Ezekiel then was caused to, to bear a type of suffering for 40 days. Um, you can find that in, the, in Ezekiel um, chapter 4 where he was, uh, the Lord told him to lay on his side for, for 40 days, and I don't know what that looked like exactly, um, but as a, a kind of remembrance and a punishment sort of that Ezekiel would sort of bear in remembrance of the 40 years of disobedience that, that uh, the Israelites spent in the desert. And so we see these, this 40 days thing keep popping up. Uh, did you know that uh, for 40 days Goliath taunted Israel before David came in? And killed him. Elijah was sustained for 40 days by a meal that the angel brought to him as he was uh, fleeing Jezebel. When Jonah was told to take a message of judgment uh, to Nineveh, it was 40 days that they had to repent to God before God's judgment would come. It's also 40 days is the period of time that we find in Matthew's gospel, well, in uh, not only Matthew's gospel, but in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the desert, where he fasted for 40 days, and also um, endured temptation from Satan. But then on a, uh, definitely an, an up note here, 
after Jesus' resurrection, he was crucified, resurrected. For 40 days then, he appeared to his disciples that there was no doubt that he was risen. Forty days he appeared to his disciples before ascending into heaven. Find that in Acts chapter 1. Now I don't want to camp out on this, but I do want you to see, and this is just one example, there are several things actually. In fact, in this same passage, um, we see that the, it says that the cloud covered uh, the mountain for six days, and on the seventh day, uh, God called to Moses. There's, there are some more numbers there that keep popping up. We have six days of creation, the seventh day God rested. Uh, so we, we, we see these same patterns throughout Scripture. It's not by accident. I couldn't pretend to tell you all the details of why God chose to do it this way, but we see some clues that there, there's, God, God has some patterns in the way that he's working here. Verse 25, let's continue on here. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. So this is what God, uh, Yahweh instructs Moses to do. Take a collection from the people. The collection of these things which are about to be mentioned here are going to be used in the construction of the various things that are going to go in to the tabernacle. And, um, and notice what Yahweh says for every man whose heart moves him you shall receive the contribution for me you know this pattern flows throughout scripture including here and all the way through the new testament this same truth that we find in second corinthians chapter 9 i think we have that up here for you second corinthians chapter 9 there we go the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How is it that God wants us to come to him with our offerings, with our gifts, with joy, with thanksgiving, and full of faith? Not with reluctance, not begrudgingly, not just out of duty. Lord, accept my sacrifice. Woe is me, your humble servant. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for us to be, give out of gratitude, out of joy, and, and ultimately out of faith that, Lord, we trust you. So we bring our offerings to you because we love you, we trust you. And here in Exodus chapter 25, this is the way the offering is to be given. For every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution um, that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and the, for the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Uh, verse 9 there 
uh, we'll definitely get into more of those details, that God wants them to do it exactly as he's spelling out here, and there is certainly a, a purpose in that. But, uh, um, and we'll get more into verse 9 uh, at a, in future Sundays here, but leading up to that, there's something, there's something amazing here that's happening, and that is that, that God has rescued his people out of Egypt, and God has now said, you're my people, and I'm going to dwell with you. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God is making clear that he is their God. He has made his name known to them, Yahweh, that, they, that he would be known by his people. And he is making now this, this, this commitment to them that he wants to dwell with them. He wants to be in their midst. Now, since Christ has come, the word become flesh and dwelt among us, God, the God-man or fully God and fully man, ha- having come to be our Savior in Jesus Christ, since the coming of Christ, which has made forgiveness of sin and, uh, and a belonging to God's family fully available to everyone who would believe in Christ, since then, believers have now become the very dwelling place of God. So while here in Exodus chapter 25, God is having them to construct a place, a physical place, where that is going to be the place of His manifest presence among His people, the place of God's manifest presence in the here and now is in and among His people. This is radically different, but you see how this, this, the, the construction of, of the sanctuary that he speaks of here is a shadow of things to come, a foreshadow of things to come, where God is not present just in a place uh, where his people live, as in um, it, would, it would be to them, it would have been sort of like, you know, you live in Harrison but if you really want to commune with God, if you really have some business to do with God, you need to come to the church to deal with that. But we don't live in, in that age anymore. We live in an age where wherever you, as a follower of Christ, go, so goes the place where God dwells. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is why the Apostle Paul then spoke to the Corinthians with such strong language uh, concerning morality, sexual morality. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. In other words, when you became a follower of Christ, when you said, when you said Jesus, I, I, I trust in you, please forgive me of my sins, I, I want eternal life, I want to belong to you. When, you. when you humbled yourself and came to Christ in such a way where you repented of your sins and believed in Him, the, the promise that comes with that is that the presence of God now begins to reside in you, in the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says, so would you, would you be bringing all this corrupt stuff into the temple, into the Holy of Holies? Of course not. 
But you now are the place where the Holy of Holies is. You now are the place where God resides. God resides with you, the Holy Spirit. So you should have no business with things like sexual immorality. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So when we talk about our bodies being a temple, you know, we'll hear that saying oftentimes, and usually uh, we'll hear it sort of in pop culture as it relates to making sure I'm fit and I'm eating healthy. And uh, Well, from the Apostle Paul's perspective, that's not without some merit, but from the Apostle Paul's perspective, what's of greater value is making sure that we're not corrupting the place where God dwells, not simply with food, but with the, the, the sinfulness of our own heart. We are the place now where God dwells among mankind. Both as individuals and as the body of Christ. So you, in that sense, are a temple of God. The place where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. Wherever you go, the presence of God goes. But also, as we gather together the body of Christ, we are the place where God dwells. Not, not the building. The reason this building is so special is because the people of God gather here and God's presence is manifest among His people. If that fails to happen, if, if people who love and follow Christ and who walk in the power of the Spirit do not gather here any longer, this is, a, this is a, 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 just a dead structure. It is the presence of God among His people that makes this a treasured place for us to gather. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we have this picture where Jesus Christ is, is, is the cornerstone. He's the capstone. He's the foundation. And on that foundation then are all these other li little stones, living stones, being built upon it together. That's us, the church, being built together into a spiritual house, the place where God resides among His people. There's language even in that that uh, goes back to Exodus about being a people, a, a holy priesthood. Um, and, uh, and Peter comments on that uh, later as well. But, but the reality is that we are the place where God now dwells. Not a tent, not a building. And notice that, that uh, Peter's language here is that Jesus Christ is a living cornerstone. Not a dead one. Um, the concrete poured around this foundation, it's dead stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't move. It doesn't have a will. It, it sits there. It does its job to support the structure above it. But Jesus Christ is a living cornerstone. He gave his life and it, he was resurrected again. And those who are built upon him are living stones. John's Gospel in John chapter 3, he says that, that when we become followers of Christ, we are given new life. We are born anew with a life that God gives. 
We are living stones. There's a, a song I wanted to uh, share with you, and I'm not going to sing it. Um, I know. Sad. Uh, partly because I don't quite remember all of the tune to it. But when I was in high school, um, we had some missionaries that visited our church, and they, and they shared quite a lot of stuff with us. And one of the things they shared with us um, was this song. And um, I'm just going to share it with you just as it uh, is written, more as poetry than a song today. It's called Living Stones. Now, he, they taught us the, uh, the Spanish um, ly- lyrics as well, and I can remember part of that, and I could, uh, I could uh, um, hack my way through that for you, but I'll bear you that um, unpleasantry, and we'll stick with English. Living Stones. Living Stones Knitted Together. Living stones side by side, rising up to be the temple, the temple of the living God. Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Living stones knitted together, living stones side by side. A picture of the church being knitted together in Christ, each one of us being a dwelling place of God, and when we come together, together the dwelling place of God. Now, there are some really radical things, important things that happen as we now are living stones who belong to Him. Living stones in Christ. If you have, if you have repented of your sins and turned to God and, 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 and asked Him for His forgiveness and said, I'm going to trust you and follow you with my days, if, if that is a place where you have, have gone before God, and you've humbled yourself and, and believed in Him, then you now are a living stone. And as a living stone here, there are four things I want to remind you of that are now yours. One of them is confidence. Confidence in speaking with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the judge over all mankind. You may have confidence in going to Him. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. See, in, in the Old Testament days, you did not have confidence in boldly approaching the Holy of Holies. No one had boldness Even the priests who were called to serve in the Holy of Holies did so with fear and trembling. No one had confidence in approaching Yahweh. But in Christ, everyone who believes now has boldness and and confidence in approaching Him to talk with Him, to appeal to Him, to listen to Him, knowing that one, you're not going to be turned away, and two, you're not going to be just destroyed in doing so because you now have been washed with the blood of Christ and have been made acceptable to the living God. Second thing, contentment. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Sounds like a command, but here's the foundation for why For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the foundation for why 
we would keep our life free from the love of money and why we would be content is because we have the living God dwelling with us. Contentment, then, is not based on our resources, uh, physical resources or assets, but based on our relationship and proximity to the living God. And Hebrews chapter 13, 5 says we can have our contentment because he is a faithful provider who will never leave us nor forsake us. Third thing is courage. Confidence, contentment, and courage. I didn't really set out to do this trendy little, you know, everything starting with C thing, but then by the time I got to the third one, I thought, well, the fourth one has to be C. So, sorry, it's just, I don't know, OCD thing, I guess. But third one is courage. Courage um, because of his immediate and powerful presence. Look at Hebrews again, chapter 13. So we read verse 5, we're going to read verse 6 as well. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Why should we have contentment? Why should we have courage for each day, no matter what we face? Because the Lord is my helper. He is present with me in all of his power. The power that raised Christ from the dead is present with me right here, right now. Present with you, believer in Jesus Christ, right here, right now. The present power of God to save, to heal, to give wisdom. And the fourth thing is this, comfort. So in Christ, as followers of Christ, we have confidence, contentment, courage, and comfort. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you are in a tight spot, when, when you have something in your world going uh, uh, haywire, when you have gotten stuck in a habit of sin and want to break free from that, uh, when you are having difficulties in uh, uh, a relationship with your spouse or parent or something like that, when, when you are in a place where you need the grace of God, which is pretty much all the time and everywhere, if we're honest, uh, we have confidence to draw near to him that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have the powerful presence of God with us. We don't have a building across town that we need to go to in order to obtain these things. You, as a follower of Christ, have the presence of God dwelling within you, the powerful presence of God and from that, you should draw confidence, contentment, courage, and comfort, both for the things that you are going through now and the things that are to come. You are the dwelling place of God, a living sanctuary wherever you go. I want to ask you to uh, indulge me here for a moment. Um, the, the Living Stones 
um, song that I, I said to you. Uh, I'm going to ask you each to give your own rendition of it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I would like you to stand with me and, and join with me in, in just making this declaration that as the family of God, as the people of God, the place where God dwells, we are a living sanctuary. We are living stones being knitted together. And so I would ask you to just join with me as we say this together. Living stones knitted together. Living stones side by side. Rising up to be the temple. The temple of the living God. Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Living stones knitted together. Living stones side by side. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the life that You bring to those who repent of their sins and call on You by faith. Uh, Lord, if there are those who are here today who have not done that yet, Lord, I ask that You would help them to give their lives to You now, to trust You, to receive You by faith, to turn away from, from their life of living for themselves, uh, to turn away from their life of rejecting You, and to repent and turn to you and embrace you, Lord, the one who came to save them. Lord, we thank you too as the body of Christ that you uh, have placed your dwelling place within us and among us. Lord, we ask that we would be faithful to, to uh, be a place where, uh, Lord, that reflects um, your glorious purpose. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to knit us together as the, as the, the house of God. Lord, be honored and glorified through us and help us, Lord, to each one of us to learn more and more to walk as living stones, being confident, having contentment, courage, and being comforted by your constant, powerful presence with us, your faithful hand among us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, please continue standing as we uh, join together. Hebrews chapter 8, you know, it acknowledges that there was a time where God instructed his people to build a place where his presence would reside. But it also says that uh, there is a place now made not by the hands of men, but by the hands of God where God dwells. That place is in you and I, the believers in Christ. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Jesus Christ is a living Savior. He is the living stone, and you and I are the living stones built upon him, united in our faith in Christ and the life we share together in Christ. May we glorify him and may we be uh, the evidence of him uh, in this world that so desperately needs him. Lord, bless and keep you, and uh, may his face shine upon you and give you peace. <laughs>